Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at snapoutofitradionetwork.com. So wake up, stand up, and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Empowered Love radio show. And... Happy Easter to everybody. I hope you had a happy and safe Easter and spent time with lovely people. And thank you for the lovely comments to the blog that people wrote in about um, regarding seeing pictures of my property and my animals. It's gorgeous to connect on that level. And um, thank you for some of the emails I've had from people that are also into self-sufficiency. It's lovely to meet like-minded people. So for those of you that are listening, you can always listen to these shows live or pick up any of them in archives. And if you also want to become a part of my blog, the blog is Melanie Tonya Evans' blog. You can look it up and there's lots of great articles and links to radio shows and all sorts of things there. So lots and lots of good resources. But today what I want to talk about is a fabulous resource and I've been talking a little bit lately about the book Crucial Conversations and I love it on my own personal journey when I come across some things that are just very, very powerful and I think, wow, this is life-changing stuff and this is definitely one of those books. So during this show, I'm going to explain to you in regard to the book how to communicate more effectively. So within this show, I'm going to be discussing how we can be disempowered and make choices such as silence and violence and how we not only don't get our needs met when we do this, but we also create an unsafe platform for our loved ones. So this is about how do we change this pattern and how can we keep our conversations as safe, effective and working at the win-win success for all concerned. So... Now, within this show, we really do have to differentiate, and I do have to use this disclaimer, which I often do, because a lot of the work that I do is with people recovering from narcissistic abuse. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that when you've worked out that this person is narcissistic in their behavior, then absolutely what you need to do is go to powerful boundaries. And for those of you that may not be sure, there was one of my articles, which is in my blog, which is about accountability, accountability and boundaries. So, and this is a way that you can absolutely ascertain whether or not the person you're dealing with is narcissistic. Because as we go through this, you're going to understand the difference. What I'm talking about today is the crucial conversations we have in everyday life with people that are not NPD, that are not narcissistic personality disorders, toxic people. So these could be people that you're having problems with. Absolutely, this is a crucial life skill in relationships, intimate relationships, love relationships. So family relationships. So this is why this is about getting love right. And that's what this show is. So because 
Conversations are everything. They are absolutely everything. And whether or not we're good at communicating or not is the difference between whether we have meaningful, loving, cooperative relationships and conversations with people. It's just a very, very big part of it. So to start off with, I want to define what is a crucial conversation. Now, I know a lot of the listeners have already gone out and got this book. So for the people that haven't, I hope I inspire that you do. Crucial Conversations is by Patterson, Greeny, McMillan and Switzler. And if you Google Crucial Conversations, it's a red book, red and white cover. Um, it's got on the top of it 2 million copies sold, etc., etc. So it's really easy to find. There's only one book called Crucial Conversation and I really highly recommend that you order it. It definitely is the sort of book that you need to take notes with. So if you're very serious about personal development, Get your notepad and pen out with it, write down the important things so that you can help cement that in how to work it through because it's got a lot of information in there, a lot of good case studies, a lot of great points, but with any new skills, it can take a little bit to absorb it. So the first time I went through it, I just read it. The second time I went through it, I read it and took notes and really got some things working for myself. So let's have a look at what a crucial conversation is. And this is how it's described in the book, and I think it's very, very relevant. It's a conversation where there's opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes. Now, when we want to, I want to look at it from the point of view of personal love relationships, so primarily uh, intimate partner relationships. But this can transcend to our kids, to our family, to our mums and dads, our sisters, brothers, etc., or even close friends. So. When we look at, I, I really believe, and this isn't quite a bit of what I'm going to put in here is not in the book, it's a little bit of my plan on it as well. What I really, really believe is that when we do have opposing opinions and these high stakes of the heart, so when we are involved with love relationships, there are very high stakes of the heart. Am I going to be safe? Is this going to, person going to stay with me? Is this love relationship going to work? Is this person going to validate me? Are they... All of those sorts of things. And as we know, a lot of our life is wrapped up in love. I think it is for everybody, extremely so for women. Okay, so when we've got opposing opinions and we've got high facts of the heart, this causes strong emotion. Now, because it's triggering us. It's triggering us in a fear and survival and all sorts of things. Now, when there are crucial conversations, there's three things that we can do with them. We can either avoid them altogether because of the fear of them. We can do them and do them really badly or we can do them effectively. So there's three simple choices. Now the reality is, is because we're getting triggered and the thing is crucial conversations can come out of anywhere. They're usually not a planned thing. So they can be triggered off from left field. Now, what happens with most people in crucial conversations and matters of the heart and also every area of their life, we tend to handle them badly, which is actually quite sad and that's why we need to work on them because crucial conversations are actually about when it matters the most. And the irony is in those times, we usually do it the worst because we're unprepared, we're triggered. Now, we're going to have a look a bit more about what triggered means. Now, in the book, 
the triggering is very, very much about what happens is when we go into fear, adrenaline starts happening. And there's lots of physiological stuff that I can tell you about that, but just to cut it down simply, what happens is, is once our brain fills with adrenaline, we become drunk on adrenaline. There's many, many parts of the brain that we do use for logical reasoning. When we're drunk with adrenaline, they shut down. They aren't actually operating. So this is why when adrenaline happens, people are either going to go in to fight or flee. Now, the book describes it as silence or violence. So obviously, fight is violence and flee is silence. Okay, now that is how we can do it at our worst because we're not actually putting meaning into the pool. We're not getting our needs met. We're not allowing the other person to feel safe who, who could be running their own stories and their own problems and we're not creating that connection and that safety and that mutual respect and mutual purpose that we're looking for. So it's tough. So when we break it down even further, and this is the bit that I would like to put in there, is that when we've had peptide addiction for negative emotions, and it's very, very common, and in matters of love, it's extremely common. So what's happened is, is we've had our slant on our past, which is the pain, the fear, the fear of abandonment, the fear of cheating, the fear of lying, there could be just all sorts of things that we've got peptide addictions going on, which means that our neuronet, which is our brain wiring, is actually wired by association to clumps that are operating fairly much. So they're our automatic reactions to things. And if our cells have been addicted to a particular type of less than peptide that's a painful peptide, our body is going to really, it creates its own stories because it's addicted on that particular peptide. So what it will do is seek out more of that to try to get more of that peptide. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that this person in front of you is really the bringer of that stuff. What it can mean is that you're perceiving them as that. Now your brain knows no difference from what's actually real and what you're perceiving what is real for you is whatever you're emotionally charging on. So the problem can be with that is you might get a trigger by association, which could just be somebody being in resistance or somebody being evasive or somebody being aggressive or somebody, you know, acting hurt. And then when we're running off negative peptide addictions, it's very much about self with personalize a great deal of stuff. We're going into victim stories, villain stories, or helpful stories. And what that means is, is that's the lens that we're perceiving it from. So what it's going to do is we're going to see and hear information, the information that can come into our brain, and then if we've got adrenaline running, or which is really coming from those old triggers and those old peptide addictions, what happens is, is we start telling a story. Now, this is where our brain is very, very dangerous and very, very tricky because, and we've all been brought up to, be, uh, to believe that we need to intellectually discern things rather than feel them. And the problem is, is when we actually start stories running in our brains, then what happens is we're not actually feeling, we're not staying in our heart, 
we're not asking the right questions and we're not staying calm and keeping it safe, we're going into these old stories of I'm not good enough, here it goes, I'm going to abandon again, I'm going to be hurt again, you don't have my best interests at heart, etc., etc., etc. And then once we tell a story in our head, we're actually creating more of our peptide addictions, which are then going to be dispersed, they're going to be manufactured in our hypothalamus, the chemical manufacturing plant in our brain, they're going to be distributed into the cells of our body as a big rush, and we're literally going to feel this fear, this pain, this panic, this I'm not good enough, this I'm going to be abandoned, I'm going to be hurt, you don't love me, you don't appreciate me, you don't care about me. All of those stories that started in our brain, we start feeling them. And then when we feel them, we're going to act in two different ways. We're going to act in either withdrawal and shutdown because we're going to believe that it's not safe to say anything and we're just going to sit on our feelings or we're going to go into violence. And violence is about, it can be as subtle as cheap shots, passive-aggressive behaviour, or it could come out as blatant criticism, attack, poor me stories, victimised stories, where we're actually attacking the other person and making, trying to make them responsible for our stories. So that doesn't work. And unfortunately, in matters of the heart, crucial conversations can often go this way. So when that's happening, when that's happening, we get away from what we want to create. We're not creating what we want to do. So now just to go back to the, that disclaimer that, and this is where it's very, very important, even if you're not great at conversation, and lots of us aren't until we realize and we start retraining ourselves we're caught in old scripts. We're caught in the way our mum or dad did it. We're, there hasn't been a great deal of awareness about these sort of studies and, and this type of evolution of how to be an effective communicator has not been available for long. So don't beat yourself up about that, but please don't be led into believing that if you do have a narcissistic person in your life, that by you sorting out your ability to communicate that you're going to be able to make the relationship safe. If you're understanding things like gaslighting, malicious wounding, pathological lying, sex addiction, all of those sorts of things that are just not acceptable, whether or not you're a good communicator, people with integrity and conscience can absolutely be difficult to communicate with Totally, because they may be lacking the skills too and they're getting triggered by your lack of skills and you're triggering their lack of skills and it's creating toxic conversation. Okay, that can happen with people that are not narcissistic, absolutely. Narcissistic people are going to operate in ways that defy conscience, integrity and are going to be malicious. Now, if you've identified that, you changing your conversation is not going to let that person all of a sudden grow a conscience and act with integrity. If they haven't got it, they haven't got it. So this is not a skill to use with narcissistic people. It certainly can be, and I would recommend not just a radio show for this, but there is a section in the book about dealing with unruly people, okay, and how you can keep it safe for yourself. I'm definitely big on... 
are with narcissistic, if you're dealing with narcissistic ex-partners and there's children involved and you do need to communicate, I'm a big fan for third parties or very minimalized, very monotone dialogue. Absolutely. Keeping emotions out, just facts, not reacting to any hooks. It's tough. It is tough. So it may help you, but really this book is much more for getting relationships right, future um, or present love relationships with non-narcissistic people. I think it's a wonderful book to get either in a relationship or before you get into those intimate, deep relationships so that you do know how to get your needs met, honour you, honour the other person, honour the relationship and create great win-win and Because that's really what this book is about. It's also fantastic stuff for bosses, co-workers, your children, your mum, your dad, uh, etc. Of course, if they're non-narcissistic, you know, narcissistic means very strong boundaries. And really, the problem can be with narcissistic individuals and even family of origin and mum and dad is the trying to get from somebody something that they just don't have the resources to have, you know, when to give you. When you actually accept that they don't have the resources, well, then you leave it alone and you start connecting in life with people that do have the resources. So this is for people that are non-narcissistic, in short. Okay, so Crucial Conversations is really about getting out of our head and getting into a heart. The great thing about this is that the head is when we're manufacturing stories, all the wrong peptides, and we're staying stuck in our negative addictions that just really aren't serving our life. And then they keep playing out, and like any addict, the cells in our body keeps trying to reproduce, re-manifest more of the same so it can get its hit of its drug. So we want to break the programs. We want to change our neuronet, which means that when we start creating different ways of being, our brain neurons that have actually been connecting to create a neuronet of pain, victimization, villains, helpless stories, will actually start detaching from that neuronet and will start creating new pathways that are much healthier and create much healthier outer experiences in life. So I think this book is really, really vital for all of the work I talk about because it's powerful. So starting with the heart. Now, why would we want to be in our heart? when we're in crucial conversations. Crucial conversations, when we're talking about matters of the heart of high stakes, what we want is we want healthy relationships with these people. We want to be trusted. They want us to trust them. We want to have a common purpose. We want to be able to say, okay, well, what can work for you? What can work for me? And where can we meet in the middle where we can both feel fulfilled, where we can both feel safe? So in that, we've really got to look at what are the sort of questions that we're going to ask ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves, what do we really want? And we've got to drop out of our head because our head can be defensive. Our head can be, well, you did this to me, so I'm going to ice you out and I'm going to make you feel what you did to me and then you might learn. And that has completely not been of mutual benefit. You know, that's really tit for tat. That's resentment and it just doesn't work. So what we've got to ask ourselves is what do we want? What do we want? We want, what do we want for ourselves? What do we want for the other person if we purportedly love and care about them? 
what do we want for the relationship? And who are we going to be to actually create those three things? Now, immediately those questions bring us into the heart because it is about love, it is about caring, it's about mutual benefit and about mutual respect. So that's where we need to be. Now, when we go into that, we really have to understand that we want healthy communication, we don't want yelling matches, we don't want defences, we want healthy communication. Now, if we're going to be heard, we have to be prepared to hear. We have to, if we want our needs met, we have to be prepared to hear what's going on for the other person. Stephen Convey did some beautiful stuff about this. So for anybody that's read um, The Eighth Habit or, or Seven Habits, I would highly recommend Stephen Convey's work as well because Stephen Covey really goes into about reaching into the other person and saying to them, you know, what is it you need from me? That's a really powerful statement. And it's also about, I would really love to hear your concerns and I'm here to listen. And the great thing is, is that when you realize through Stephen Covey's work or through other work, you don't necessarily have to agree with another person in order to validate them. It can be as simple, I can understand why you're feeling like that. I can see that you're hurt. I can see that you have concerns. Are all statements of validation that allow another person to start getting safe, get into their heart and out of their head while they're talking to you? Now, the truth of the matter is, is that this is not about getting this book or any Stephen Covey's work and shoving it under somebody's nose and saying, read that because I want you to communicate with me better. So something that we really need to understand and take responsibility for here, and this goes the same with anything that we want to change in our life, we actually have no power to change other people. We only have the power to change ourselves. So what that means is, is that we must start with self. We have to start with me before we can work on us. It's highly important. So we realize we do want healthy communication. We do want to have harmonious dialogue. We want healthy relationships with the people that we're having crucial conversations with. And we want mutual understanding, connection, support, and love. So this changes the whole game of playing I'm victimized, you're the villain, or I'm helpless. It changes all of that, which is a good thing because none of those things work. Because if we do want to punish, if we want to gain the upper hand, we're not adding safety and valuable meaning to the conversation. And we're certainly not listening. And we're certainly not understanding what the issues really are within the relationship. We might understand what our own issues are, but they may be absolutely toxically poisoned with stories and assumptions that may not even have anything to do with that person. And then what's happened, because we've been running those toxic programs and stories, we've actually attracted the evidence to support those stories. And people can only give us how we perceive them. And mind you, they may not even be giving us that, but that's exactly what we think they're giving us. So if we are focused on winning, we've got it wrong. Because when we go back to those questions, what do I want for myself? What do I really want? 
for the other person and what do I really want for the relationship, we've just cut two of those questions out, two of those heartfelt connections out. Because really what we're doing is we're going, well, what do I want for myself? And what we've actually done is we have sabotaged the relationship with the other person. Because if we're focused on winning, that means somebody else has got to lose. And if they lose, even if we believe we've got all the justifications for what we've said, what we've done and how we've won, we're either going to breed from them silence or violence. They're either going to retreat because they don't trust us anymore or they're going to attack back because of their resentment about what we've done to them. So we just create more of the toxic cycle. So it's really important to understand that if we break those two things down, which is silence and violence, and there's a lot about it in the book, and it's really good stuff, it's so good, is that what a lot of women can do, men can do it too, keeping the peace, believing that you're keeping the peace, I don't want to rock the boat, I don't want to create waves, I don't want to have more arguments, so I'm going to go into silence. Now the problem with that is, is that we're not actually adding meaning to the pool, to the relationship, we're not actually working anything out. Nothing's actually being uh, sorted or healed. And we, what happens is that we're going to go into resentment, more stories that we've never clarified or got understanding about or support about. And we've got greater disconnection. Then what happens is ultimately we're going to run into violence, which means that we've bottled, 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 we're running the stories, the other person's going to be presenting more and more and more evidence until our victim story gets big enough or our villain story, you're doing it to me, gets big enough and we're actually going to erupt into violence. And again, which could be passive, aggressive, cheap shots, sarcasm, or it could be literal explosion, none of which works. It's only going to push the person away and create more distrust. So violence usually is as a result of bottled silence and it usually will blow to that sort of uh, place, definite. So you've got to keep going back to these questions. What do I want for self? What do I want for the other person? What do I want for the relationship? And who am I prepared to do those things? So it's very, very important to actually look at who am I being in this and what is my story in it. So what we do is if you have a look at the stages of how it happens, you hear information or see information, you can create stories around it, then what can happen with those stories is that you create that peptide release on it, which literally hurts, which literally you feel strong emotions, and then from those strong, strong emotions, you're going to act. So what we need to do is break down. Now, often that is just an automatic cycle. It's an automatic pattern. It happens automatically. Crucial conversations come out of left field. They take you by surprise. And before you know it, you've seen or heard, you've created a story, you've gone into an emotion about it, and then you've acted out silence or violence. So how do we break that cycle? How do we break that cycle? And there is a wonderful, wonderful strategy in this book that's incredibly similar to what I've written about in the Boundary ebook. And the Boundary ebook 
breaks it down actually into six steps. This breaks it down into four. But what it does is it creates observing ego. So what happens then is when you're in the reaction and you're feeling it inside, before you've actually acted or even if you have acted, you can still pull it back. But you need to create space and you need to create mindfulness and you need to actually go into yourself and start asking yourself some questions. So these questions are, okay, so if we look at action, okay, it's the question to self is, am I acting in silence or violence? That's the first question that you can ask yourself. The second question that you can ask yourself is, what stories are creating these feelings? So what we're actually doing is we're taking that flow chart backwards. What stories are creating these feelings? What am I conjuring up in my head that is actually triggering me? I'm owning I'm creating these emotions. What stories am I telling myself? What's my perception that is making me feel like this? Okay? So then we go back to that and we go, okay, so what evidence do I actually really have to back up these stories? What is the real hard facts that make these stories real? Or what is another story that could fit that? So really, and the greatest thing is, is that when we're actually in a peptide addiction reaction, all we have to do, and I love this, all we have to do is create a break in the circuit. And a break in the circuit is thinking a different way. So when we're drunk on the peptide rush, on the adrenaline it's producing, generally that's all we see, that's all that's going on, and the world could nearly be blowing up around us, and that's it for us because it is such a powerful, compelling rush and pump that's going on at the time. So, as, But our brain is, is hugely incredible. It is an incredible machine. So when you actually break those thoughts that are surging and actually bring them back to self and start dissecting them, start asking yourself questions, you interrupt those neurons firing off to your hypothalamus, creating more and more and secreting all that peptide through your body. You create a break to that circuit. So those neurons actually start, stop firing. And what happens is new neurons start firing. And the great thing is, is if we get into this practice, those new neurons that are going to be firing, they're about the mindfulness. They're about self-responsibility. They're about supporting self. They're about being with self. They're about empowering self. So what happens is, they then fire off a signal to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus creates a peptide, which is about being with self, self-responsibility, self-calm, self-analysis, self-empowerment. Those peptides, which are calmer, stronger, solid peptides, start secreting out through your blood system. And if you do it often enough, what will happen is the receptors that were the docking points for the old victim peptides start closing up. Receptors start forming in your cells for these new peptides. And every time your cell is splitting, the new cells are creating more and more receptor docking points for these new peptides. So you're literally going to get hooked on 
mindfulness, self-empowerment, self-analysis, self-responsibility, which is a fantastic place to be because you can't change or create anything outside of self. It has to come from self. So you start empowering your whole world and creating. What happens is that equates to support for self. What happens is you're going to start attracting from life support from self. It also creates authenticity because it cuts out the false stories. So authenticity here and now is self-responsibility. It's not old stories. It's not old pet-side addiction. It's here and now authenticity of self-responsibility. So you're going to start attracting from life authentic deals, authentic people, authentic situations and things in your life that are going to hold and be durable and real for you. So it's all good. So that neuron net, what happens is when those old, uh, when the, the neuron wires, when those neuron pathways start firing off in different associations, they start actually detaching from the victim clumps that they're in and they start reattaching and creating empowered clumps. So what's going to happen is it's going to get easier and easier and easier every time you have a crucial conversation to be able to handle yourself in an empowered, mindful, win-win way. It'll get easier and easier and easier. You're literally retraining yourself. And sooner or later, that old way just won't exist for you anymore. It just won't be a part of your makeup or your reality. And then you're actually going to attract more empowered communicators or people that can communicate more healthily as well. So it's just win, win, win all around. So you just to go back through that again, you're actually backtracking where you've been because initially when you were triggered, you got the information, you created a story, an emotion flowed from that story and then you acted in a way that did not serve your goal. The goals being what do I want for self what do I want for the other person? What do I want for the relationship? And who do I need to be to create that? What I want is mutual love, support, understanding, connection. Okay, so if you're in automatic peptide addictive reaction, you're going to pull that completely apart. You're going to have that one goal, what do I want for myself? And you're going to smash the relationship. And it's actually not going to work. It never works. Okay, so retracing your steps on that is, am I in silence or violence? Am I clamming up? Am I trying to keep the peace? Am I not communicating? Now, if you're with a narcissist, it's not going to be safe to. Don't get me wrong, but this is for non-narcissistic people. Am I clamming up? Am I not communicating? Am I going into violence? Am I doing passive-aggressive cheap shots or am I actually attacking? Okay, all right. What emotions are causing me to do that? What emotions am I feeling? Am I feeling resentment? Am I feeling fear of abandonment? Am I feeling blah, blah, blah? Now, when you ask yourself, what am I feeling? You take responsibility for your feelings because once you feel them, they're your responsibility. Absolutely. Okay, then you go into what stories are creating these emotions for me? Okay, then what evidence do I have, hard evidence to support these stories? Because often even that mindfulness of just asking ourselves that question, we can go into, we can realize 
it's actually a trigger from our past. It's something we haven't healed yet. It's something we're still fearing. It's some sort of peptide addiction we've still got running in our body that we haven't healed yet. That's why I love energetic healing. We can go straight to it and heal it. But that's what is making your crucial conversations very, very difficult. So now crucial conversations are all about making it safe. Now this is where, because remember you can only change you, you can only take responsibility for you. Okay, so you may be in a crucial conversation with somebody, you can see they're unsafe, you can see they're going into silence or violence and I can hear you all saying, well, what do I do when they do that? When they haven't read the book, when they don't know how to create the gap and they don't know how to retrace their steps. And, you know, that's a fair question because as human beings, if we forget how powerful we are, we really want other people to hold up their end of the bargain as well. Now, truthfully, that's going to be unrealistic, isn't it? You may have this partner who's really into self-development you've got a whole heap of trust going on and... They're going to read the book as well and it's all awesome and it's all good. But really, if you've got that level of relationship, you probably don't need the book because you're already trusting each other and communicating healthily. Anyway, this is going to be more evident for you with people in your life that haven't read the book, aren't going to read the book, and you know they may not even be interested in self-development. You know, Hopefully, with an intimate love relationship, you... If you are into personal development, you're going to want somebody that is and you're going to attract somebody in or they're either going to grow with you or not. That's really, you've got to understand what you deserve, but if you want that. But this might be your mum, your dad, this might be your kids, this could be your best friends, could be all sorts of things where maybe they're just not into their stuff. So what do we do? So, you know, do we want a yucky conversation simply because we think, well, they're going into silence or violence and they should know better? No, we don't. You can, from your side of the fence, have a huge amount of impact on this person when they're going into silence and violence. And going back to this disclaimer, please don't anybody out there who suspects or knows that an NPD person think, great, I know he does silence and violence all the time, I'm going to be able to handle him. No, this is not about that. This is about dealing with people that are not personality disorders. Okay especially not NPD. So how you can do that, if you notice that people are going into silence or violence, that is a complete sign that they're feeling unsafe in the, in the conversation. So if you can, and this is where most conversations go really, really wrong. One or both people know it's unsafe. Things are getting heated. People are going into silence and or violence. And what's happening is this person is still trying to push their point across without any empathy, understanding, or any changing it up to try and make it safe. No crucial conversation is going to go well if it's unsafe. It doesn't work. So you have to be on the lookout for when the other person is going into silence and violence. Now, what you need to do at those times to get them to engage and feel safe enough to engage is create mutual purpose and mutual respect. So there's only going to be two reasons why they're going into silence or violence. One is going to be they don't think that you have their needs or their interests at heart. They don't think you care about their purpose or their needs. The other thing is, is that they don't trust you. And if they don't trust you, they don't respect you. 
So that's when they're going to do that. So you need to create mutual purpose and mutual respect and trust. And how you actually do that is by changing the conversation. So you need to step out of the conversation, make it safe, and then step back in. So just a really simple way that you can do that. Validation is very powerful. Something like, but, but actually create a breaking act. So it's like, okay, well let's just let's just change this up for a minute. So just change your direction on it. It's almost like when those peptides are firing and those brain neurons are right in the chemical addiction. You know, by just inserting something in there, it's like with a child that's playing with a dangerous object and you say, hang on a minute, let's just have a look at this toy over here. So you just change it. So that's the same way. If you were to say to somebody, let's just let's just change this up a bit. Let's look at this from a different place. And it's very, very important how you use your body language, how you use your voice to make it safe. And when you do that, this is where about creating mutual respect and trust is very, very important. So if you were to say something like, it would be really good if we could both share what's working for us and what isn't. So immediately that person starts to think you're not just after your own agenda, you actually do care about their needs. And then if you were to say something like, I'd love a solution where we can both feel safe and fulfilled. So that creates respect. You care about their feelings so and they trust you. That's what respect is about. Mutual purpose is about you don't care about what I need. Mutual respect and trust is about I care about your feelings. So when you can create those two platforms, then you can step back into the crucial conversation. And the crucial conversation is really, really about that I have a forum where I can voice my needs and what is or isn't working for me, I can respect and care enough to listen to your needs and work out with you what is or isn't working with you and together we can create this action, this understanding, this trust, this connection, this love to make changes that are going to work for both of us. And it's that win-win which Stephen Covey talks about that third entity that comes out of relationships which is greater than the sum of the two parts. So you have two opposing parts that when they can create mutual purpose and mutual trust, the sum of those, the sum is much greater than those two single parts. So it's like one plus one equals three to infinity. And that's really what about great relationships are about is creating an entity, the relationship that is greater than the past. And that's what Crucial Conversations is all about. So this is what's really, really good about it. So when we have a look at stories, because the stories are just so compelling, the stories that we can tell in our head. So there's the victim story. None of it is my fault. It's not my fault. I'm a victim. Now, look, it's very, very true that if we were to look at just a human level, that we could be hit by a car. So we could be a victim in life. We were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. It climbed the curb. It hit us. It came from behind. We didn't see it. No, absolutely. As far as being into energetic reality, I actually don't believe in energetic reality that there's anything that happens that we're not a match for vibrationally. 
And I know that in my own life, really weird things, random crazy things used to happen in life. I know I had belief systems, I'm not safe in life. And I used to absolutely, and it was a chemical peptide addiction in my body that like any addict, the cells in my body completely speaked out, manifested, call force what it wanted for its rush. Because, you know, it gave me a great victim story. I could say wide up and victim stuff. But if we look at it at a human level, that even in conversations, relationships, etc., etc., we're actually never a victim unless we're actually locked in a dungeon and being victimized by this person with a lock and key that we can never get out. We're actually never a victim. Now, what happens with the victim stories is when it's not my fault. Okay, we can create martyr. We can create really, really righteous stuff in these victim stories. You know, I give you everything. I treat you with the utmost respect. I always tell the truth. I'm such a good person, you're such a bad person. So that's victim martyr story. We can create the villain, it's all your fault. Okay? Now, in narcissistic relationships, you really are dealing with lack of empathy, lack of conscience. And eventually, when you're healing all that stuff, you get past the villain stuff. And you get you get actually into the gift of it, which, well, I got this completely false self, this like person that wasn't real, who was really highly abused. Because I hadn't as yet learned to be real to myself and to love, support, care for me and have great boundary functions. That's why you turned up in my life. I wasn't real to myself. That's why I got somebody who wasn't real. So eventually get to that, which is all that self-empowerment, Victor, uh, sorry, peptide manufacture that puts you back in the driving seat, back in your power, back in mindfulness, back in self-control, back in great choices, all that sort of stuff. So, but if we're talking about a non-narcissistic person, we can create villain stories which really are hanging and quartering a person based on assumptions, based on our own perceptions, which really have very little credibility because we choose to see a certain something, a certain way from that person, create a whole story around it. And, you know, we've just created them into this monster that they possibly are. So that's a villain, it's all your fault. The helpless story is about there's nothing else I could do, okay? Well, I went off my head at him, but, you know, what else could I do? So it's the helpless story, there's nothing else I could do. So all of these three stories, what they effectively do is they they excuse us from taking responsibility. So they actually create us as very, very powerless we're creating victim, villain, or helpless peptides, which are only going to create in our life and within ourselves more of the same. And it's really, really self-defeating. So, and I love this. I love this point in the book because when I read it, I'm like, oh, yes, that is just so well put. So what happens is when we're operating in victim, villain, or helpless, we've sold out in some way. So in victim, what we've done is we've actually... Um, acted like a victim, we've let people abuse us or we've, you know, carried on in this victimized state. We've sold ourselves out. We're not in our power. When we're creating people as villains, we're actually saying dire stories and, and beliefs about people and we're backstabbing them and accusing them. So we're not operating in integrity there either. When we're helpless, 
we're, we don't feel good about ourselves. We don't feel empowered. We, we, again, we've sold out. So all of these three things are sellouts. They're not in alignment with the inter- true integrity of ourselves. So what's really, you know, uh, what we do with these stories, these stories we create, is we actually excuse our own sellout. We actually, rather than taking responsibility for our sellout and changing ourselves to create different situations in our life, we actually make excuses and justifications for our behavior. So we do it through creating stories. So stories are the cop-out. And if we keep running those stories, we keep excusing our own sellout, we cop out from taking responsibility, and we never change, we never heal, we never make it any different in our life. So they're not the way to go. They're really not the way to go. So I just wanted to share with you, that's what this show was about. Look, I hope I've inspired you to get the book. I don't often recommend books. You know, there's only a handful of books I've ever recommended. I really do love this one. I I think it's so compatible with my work. So regular listeners, regular bloggers, people that have got a lot of my resources. Um, This is, you know, you do realize that I work a lot on the DNA energetic side of it. That's really, really the core work of my healing that I do do. And all of my information is written about this. But I love practical tools. Practical tools on their own, as far as I'm concerned, are not enough. I really do believe we need to do the deep inner work as well. This book is great because it's actually really pointing you towards the deep inner work as well as giving you very, very powerful, practical, real-life tools that you can pick up and use that are life-changing. That might be life-saving for you. It's going to be very, very big. So I hope that helps. So that's it from me today, everybody. Lots of love. Check out the book. Um, It'll change your life like all good stuff does. Okay, so goodbye, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.